and welcome to UCL Publishing Podcast. My name is Ana Paula de la Borboya and I am an MA student on publishing course at UCL. In each episode of the podcast, we'll discuss an issue within publishing and then hear from the student of the course on their chosen topic. In this episode, Rebecca Stone will be discussing Irish literature. But today I will first talk about works in translation, or rather those works that are not being translated into English. Uh, joining me to share some of these books is Laura Garcia, Sebastián Veloso, and Kira Ballester, all fellow students of the MA Publishing. So welcome, everybody. Hi. Hi. It's so nice to have you here. Uh, so each of us, we thought, thought about a couple of books to talk about. Um, none of this have been translated into English, uh, but we will believe that they, are, they could be appealing to the English market and that people are missing out by not talking or, you know, reading these books. So, ready? Ready. Yeah, yeah. so with whom should we start? Uh, she's motioning towards me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. guess we're gonna start from the Southeast region of Asia. Uh, so I'm from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, the thing about the Philippines is that we speak in English. All of us will understand English understand it better than we speak it a lot of the time and yeah. so that means that eliminates essentially the need to translate into our um, other languages of which there are several hundred so the language i speak as a bilingual speaker is english and filipino but the norm for other filipinos outside of manila is to speak three languages or more wow. so okay. for example in my family my mother will speak three languages one of which she withheld because she didn't think it was important enough So that's oh. a really strange sort of complication. Um, and other language speakers will include um, two Filipino languages as well, uh, sorry, two Philippine languages, and then uh, sometimes Spanish, um, sometimes uh, Mandarin or some other uh, Chinese Even language. older generations yeah. speak a lot of languages. Yeah, they do. Especially if you go two generations back, they'll speak fluent Spanish, especially in other northern um, regions. Because of because the fact that I speak um, like Americanized English, um, I the the like if you were to look at my bookshelf at home in in Manila in Taytay in Rizal, um, it would be a lot of a lot of American speakers like um, a lot of American paperback Book. books etc. Yeah. Um, I guess what that creates for us as um, people who have to exist with two sort of imaginariums or Im imaginations or having to think and act and speak in several languages is that um also have to um sort of reclaim a lot of a lot of of our imagination from the language where we read most in so for example if i was to read in filipino it would be different books like a different genre of book so my first recommendation is always going to be manix abrera um amazing comics Um, comic strips in comic formats and he writes for one of our daily newspapers and he does Filipino humor really really well so it's untranslatable because it, you're not translating language yeah. word per word you're translating um, our history our, our sense of humor the way that we play with English and Filipino mm -hmm. uh, and the way that those two sort of meld together so another like I put up a, a poem here that plays with two languages at once and you can read that um, in English but the poem is in Filipino the title uh, the poet is Paolo Manalo who's a professor of mine I hope he doesn't mind my reading this out loud but um, the title 
if you can catch it, is bolim, yeah? Bolimia. Yeah. So that's it sort of leads you into oh, how... Oh, in there yeah. are three words. Instead yes. Instead of one, there yeah. are three words. But he does, does it phonetically, and he uses phonet, the phonetics of English okay. to tap into well, Filipino. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, it sounds like an experiment. It is. Yeah. He's a very it's intellectual... Wow. Yeah. I love it. Um, I, won't, I, I won't be able to translate it for you, but you can hear how it sounds. So the first three lines will sound like this. See, sell, yeah, who bought... Who bad, sukat kot awan masarap, which is Cecilia who but who bad sukat katawan masarap. Loosely translated, this is Celia, um, top and bottom naked. Um, the shape of her body is delicious, something like that. Very simple, very yeah. roughly. Wow, but it has yeah. like three personalities there. Yeah, the so poem. it's yeah. So the poem emerges if you know if you have access to two languages. If you know poetry works in this way. So there's there's that kind of I think that is what counts as specifically untranslatable because it yeah. is in English, but it's not something an English speaker will be able to understand. Something along those lines. So it's humor and it's poetry wow. that hides like yeah poetry that hides in language. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I have more to talk experience. about, but you, maybe we should like talk to somebody else first. <laughs> I mean, we can do it. Or do you have another? Maybe a, a novel of fiction. Oh, or yeah. What are the recommendations you have? I do. I have like several. There's one um, contemporary writer. My God, I don't have any women here. They're gonna kill me. Um, but no, I don't have any women writers because our women writers also write in English. So that's mm -hmm. also, I think, a failure of not a failure, but a factor of the. Philippine sort of insular publishing uh, industry is that even if we write in such an accessible quotation mark language, um, by virtue of our insularity, it's difficult to branch out. It's yeah. just it, it's just there's no agents in the Philippines. Um, it's harder to represent a Filipino voice. There's always intentionally the question of why is this going to be inherently more interesting to people outside of your context yeah. that doesn't isn't a burden of somebody writing from. Britain, for example. What I will always think is the reason why uh, we want to, you know, we want to read stories from a different countries to get to know those countries. So yeah. that has to become one of the most important things to actually trying to learn yeah. from a completely different um, Pers yeah. perspective that yeah. at, maybe at first you are you won't understand. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think in that transaction it has to be mutual a mutual grasping towards each other instead of yeah. instead of like here is a thing from my country you can take it or leave it no it has yeah. to be you are also motivated to find the time to engage with this text in the same yeah. way i was yeah. intentionally motivated as a young child to yeah. read for example roald dahl because it's because i knew that this is a this is literature that i that is enriching so there's also that capacity, I guess, to know that yes. also reading outside is also enriching in that sense. Um, but the other person I was going to recommend was actually um, Carlo Vergara's Ang Kagilagilalas na Pakikipagsapalala ni Zaza Saturna. Wow. I was about to correct you there. Really? Cool. Yeah, feel free. Um, no, no, but it's the uh, Amazing Adventures of Zsa Saturna, who is a gay character. Um, you're familiar with Wonder Woman. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so in the... I think I've heard of her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is her. Um, so she is a play off of a play off of Wonder Woman. And so Zsa Zatorna is a hypersexualized, transsexual superhero. Very forward thinking for her time. 
um, by a gay man called Carlo Vergara, who also illustrates her and writes her. There are several layers of satire in, in the way that this character has been formed. And she's obviously, the way that she's written, the way that she's presented, and the humor that she comes dressed up as and with, and reading that, that's also very interesting. And she's also, for readers who understand, very fucking funny. Philippines, Philippines is quite a like we're a Catholic country. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. we are violently Catholic. That's that's it took some balls to write that and publish that. He has it's... massive balls. Sorry, Sir Carlo. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Cause... Yeah, and it's ongoing. He's he's a very prolific writer. He's present. He's present in a lot of social media. You just have to know to look. Is, is, it, is it successful? It's very successful. It was um, per, it was performed on uh, it was um, transformed into a play and then performed as a movie. Oh, wow. And then um, the writer has has been releasing several um, smaller installments of like um, like, like serials, yeah, and... serials within the same universe. universe. Yeah. yeah. So it's very successful yeah. for our market. Um, it just takes so much. Um, I think and tell me if I'm wrong, but in other um, industries, writers can't just be writers. It simply doesn't pay. It doesn't sustain yeah. a lifestyle. Yeah. So that's a big concern. Um, you yeah. can't do it full time. So yes. you have to sort of sneak it in yeah. during yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's going to be a slower career to build yes. unless you have like this massive success yeah, that yeah. can actually allow you. But I think that is like the exception. Yeah. And not, yeah. Yeah. not the rule. Not by yeah. any. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's easier for. At least in Portugal and Spain, I guess it's easier to, to become a full time writer, but yeah. it's harder nonetheless. It's, well, in Spain, I read an article that said that only 10% or less than 10% of writers in Spain um, are full time. Yeah, they have the privilege of only living um, by writing. Yeah. Yeah. So all the others have like a full time job and then. Yeah. Yeah. They write as a hobby. Makes me sad. I mean, it would be an honor to to be able to contribute to yeah. build a an industry that was able to sustain writers. Would yeah. Be... yeah, especially because the difference between and what we have learned so far is that the British like the industry here in in the UK it exports. Yeah. While yeah. our industries don't tend to, and that's exactly the reason why here, right? Yeah. yeah. To see so many books that are not and probably not close to being translated yeah. in that way you know it's a it's a bigger market they yeah. can have access to yeah, exactly. right but well let's continue with the next one Sebastian, tell us a little bit more um where you come from what books would you recommend okay so uh, i come from portugal lisbon capital i think portuguese literature has these two two stages which is pre-dictatorship and then well three during dictatorship and then post dictatorship and you don't read a lot even if you take, if you take Portuguese in, in college uh, but in high school you don't read contemporary writers because the only one that you read which who was still alive when I was in high school was Saramago who won the yeah, Nobel sure. Prize in, yeah. in trend, I think 1998 Saramago? yeah oh cool okay and you read you read him he died uh, in 2011, I think, or 2012. Yeah, it was not long ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you no, no longer read any living authors, which is weird in some ways, and uh, well, we read, well, we read Chronicles 1. Um, so the, in these three stages, you have clear uh, goals in each book. So you know, you have 19th century romantic book, super, we have, we have a super Anglo influence. So, you know, mm. our romanticism is pretty much the same as English romanticism. Um, which is Essa Queiroz, which has been translated sometimes. Which Say is again? Essa, his, his name, full name is José, so José in Spanish, Essa Queiroz, 
Is mm-hmm. this really romantic? And most of my colleagues hated reading him because he had like 40 pages of describing a house because every part of the house is symbolic. But I brought, I brought a book which was from during dictatorship, which lasted from 1933 to 1974. So that's 41 years of dictatorship. Um, and he's, a, he's one of the most beautiful poets. Uh, so I was called George de Sena. De Sena. Yeah, exactly. And he wrote this, this book that we're talking about, was uh, Sinaized Folk, which roughly translated would be Fire, si- fire Signs. Fire and this is his take on his life. So it's kind of an autobiographic novel uh, about his, uh, him as a 14, 16, 17-year-old living in a Portuguese dictatorship and uh, with family in the Spanish dictatorship, which kind of coincided yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And he's living the Spanish Civil War and without war in Portugal. And then at the brink of the revolution in Portugal, he discovers poetry as like 18, 19-year-old. And this is, is like, it's a huge book, like 400 pages of him just talking about how poetry got into, got into his life and changed pretty much everything that he saw. So even the dictatorship got poetry in it in a, in a weird kind of way that, that freedom wow. has it. So it's, it's, and it will never be translated. I think that that's why I was talking about because I read about places in Portugal that I know by heart, like, oh, I, I know precisely where it is in this particular street in Lisbon. Or uh, my, my father or my grandfather lived through, through this and he used poetry as an escape as well. So it was, it's hard to translate this kind of feelings in a book and a character to a country like the UK who has never had a modern dictatorship or France who has never had a modern dictatorship because they, the feeling of oppression is not yeah. there. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to relate with those characters who every corner that they go along they have to be aware of, of, of police. Yeah. And the other uh, book that I thought of was um, a short story book by this beautiful, beautiful um, woman who wrote everything. So from she's one of our most renowned poets, and she wrote children's book that we all read, which which is called Sophia the Mel Briner. We have a lot of names in Portugal, yeah. um, and she wrote. She was this again. She she didn't live off of writing, but she lived among writers. So mm. like, yeah. there's beautiful photos of her with all the most renowned, famous authors and painters and. Uh, sculpture of the wow. 21st, 20th century with her kids like she's like this normal ordinary family she mm-hmm. was married for like 20 years or something or more actually I think she's married until they both died her, her children are normal one of them is a political comment uh, writer as well a political commentator and she just wrote beautiful beautiful poetry and then she has this book of short stories which is really really weird and which we read in our 12th grade which is all about loss most of the stories okay. are about loss and the one that I like the most is about this couple who goes on a trip and they just keep forgetting the past. So they just go on a trip in the, in the car and like, did we turn left or right? And the, the man goes, I have no idea. Did you remember? And I'm like, no. Okay, just keep going. Oh, are we going somewhere? And they just keep forgetting and then to a point where the car breaks down, they get left from each other and the woman just falls off the abyss because she doesn't remember where she's going and where she's went, where she came wow. from. And this is really... It's like 10 pages long and it's so weird. Again, I think short stories can be translated because they're not focused on like a novel where you need to give context, physical context of a town or a place. Um, so just- Like visceral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Visceral yeah. and psychological. Yeah. Um, and fairly easy to read. They're not literary where you go and like, oh my God, I have to read, I have to read 50 pages of this description. Yeah. No, it's like just people. She focused on people. And then yeah. I think this one would be a good one to have translated but uh, again 
you it's, came out it. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, maybe because I love short stories. Yeah. And when they focus on a subject such as that, like a loss or like hope or love or anything, yeah. they work so well because they become like universal. I would yeah. actually love to read that one. Yeah, it reminds me some. The, the way that it's structured and the way that it sort of plays with the idea of memory reminds me a lot of Borges. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And if and what I was thinking was that if they can do it for Borges, they can surely <laughs> do it yeah, for other writers. For other right? writers. I think if it's well written, the same with Borges, which is massive intellectual person, but got translated in, I don't know, several hundreds of, not hundreds, several languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, if you can, if in the translation you can bring up the essential of the book. Yeah. If, as a person that I'm, re- I know I'm reading a Polish novel. I'm gonna, I, I know that I'm gonna relate, even if I, I read a Londoner novel. I know, oh, I know what this feels like because I've been in London and I'm an immigrant. Yeah. Um, but as out of the gate, I know that I'm gonna relate to the place. I'm gonna relate to the character. If that translation brings that character up. Yeah. I think any language can be, any book can be translated. If it's not like mine from George the Center, which is super, or yours as a comical Filipino writer, it's just super super context-based. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. yeah, if you're not playing with the language, it should be rather possible to translate yeah. it in almost yeah. any yeah. other language. I think there is some merit in having things that are that remain untranslatable. Yeah. Because then I think more can be written around it in order to carve out that space. Um, so I don't think necessarily that everything should be translated. Like, there's merit also in, in saying this is just not translate come through in, yeah. in this language no we're just so we're going to explain it instead and this is what you need to know etc 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 yeah yeah i think it's very similar probably you will have laura experiences with that point as it's being very specific uh the language you're going to talk to us about right yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm from barcelona so i'm bilingual too as you um so in catalonia we speak both catalan and spanish which are different languages uh, for Catalan people, it doesn't matter where we speak in Spanish or Catalan because we, like, ever since we are born, like, we hear both languages. Mm-hmm. There are some Catalan families that speak in Spanish. Um, I speak Catalan with my family because we're just used to speaking Sp- uh, Catalan. And it's weird now if we speak Spanish. It's like if you started speaking with your, with your family. In like English. In another, yeah, yeah. It's, like, weird when you speak spoken to them like in the same language forever so it's like weird but then with my grandparents for example I speak in Spanish Um, I have some friends to whom I speak in Spanish and then it's weird speaking to them in Catalan so it's like we don't mind but for Spanish people um, it's very difficult to understand Catalan Mm -hmm. most of them don't understand it I I think maybe because the pronunciation is very different so maybe when they read it um, but then yeah. it's true that the pronunciation is very different, so mm. maybe that's what makes it difficult. Yeah. Could I hear some? Because I've never heard Catalan before. Yeah, okay, so for example, if I say, um, Hola, me llamo Laura, tengo 21 años, 22 años, uh-huh. 23 actually. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday. So, um, this is Spanish. And then if I say, Hola, me llamo Laura, tengo 23 años, this is Catalan. So the pronunciation is very different. Yeah. Maybe you understand it. Once you read it, it's almost the same. Mm. Yeah. But yet the pronunciation is yeah, different. Yeah, you have to know Spanish. And I've heard that you have to know, if you know some French, oh. it even it's, gets even easier. That's what yeah. I've heard. But yeah, I think it's, it's, so, it's different. Yeah. It's a different it's like, for language. For example, for me, it's very, very easy to understand both yeah. Italian and French. Mm-hmm. 
French, I think it's closer to Catalan than Spanish, mm. and Italian is closer to Spanish than mm. Catalan. But I can understand both because it's yeah. like they're wow. almost the same. And the Italian pronunciation, it's closer to the Spanish, and I think the French pronunciation is closer to the Catalan one. Mm. And I think for Spanish people, um, it's easier understanding Italian because pronunciation is similar rather than understanding French. Mm. And for us, like we don't mind. We know Portuguese speakers, we can read Spanish. Yeah, yeah we can understand Portuguese. Yeah. But but I, can, I cannot read Catalan. Yeah. Like I go to Barcelona, like I. This is another thing. Yeah, this is another yeah, thing. Yeah, and I can understand Portuguese because I know Spanish, not mm. because I know Catalan. Yeah. You know, because yeah. yeah. with Catalan it's very different. It is, yeah. yeah. So it, for me, it's like it doesn't matter. It's and what like, about the books? You yeah. were suggestions so only got into Catalan, right? Yeah. You brought only Catalan yeah, authors. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Catalan authors, but also because the Spanish market. It's very big nowadays yeah. and with Latin Americans, like it's almost the same. There are a lot of books that have been translated into English, whereas Catalan market, it's very, very small and yeah. very limited to only Catalonia. So, and there are a lot of works that haven't been translated into English, which Not is the same. What about Spanish? Sorry to interrupt again. Have been Catalan books been translated to Spanish? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no, because we don't mind reading in Spanish or yeah, Catalan. Same. And there are a lot of Catalan writers who speak in Spa- who write, write in Spanish, Spanish yeah. so then the book is already released in Spanish. And so the two books that I'm going to talk about are one written by an author called Salvador Spriu mm-hmm. and one written by an author called Marcelo Dureda, mm-hmm. who I love. Um, so Marcelo Dureda's books, Some of them have been translated into English, and I highly recommend Broken Mirror, mm-hmm. which in Catalan is Mirai Trancat, and I love it. I think it's like amazing book, so it's good that it's translated into English. You have the opportunity to read it. Yeah, okay. And so then the one written by Marcelo Dureda, it's a book called Aloma. Aloma is like a Catalan name, but like a very weird Catalan name. Okay. No one is called Aloma, but... It's a page from Portugal. Yeah. It is? Yeah. Must be from from Catalonia. Yeah, I've never heard it before. Aloma. Yeah, como Paloma, pero. Yeah. yeah, Aloma, and when you say Aloma in Catalan, so we have Al Oma, which Al, is Al. the man. And I thought the book was called the man. the man, you know. And then when I bought the book and I read Aloma, and it was like one together word. with an A, and it's a name. I was like, this is not the book I was hoping to read. <laughs> you know, like it was weird, but so yeah, Aloma. Um, well, I did literary studies as my undergrad, mm-hmm. and I like um, like classics and like intellectual literature. So maybe it's not a lot for entertainment, but it's great literature. I think you would, you should read it. And so Aloma is a story about a girl, um, yeah, like a teenager who doesn't have a lot of self esteem, mm-hmm. and she lives with her brother and his well. Yeah, like his wife, brother. Um, so then one day, Robert comes. Robert is, um, well, he's like around 50, and Aloma is around 20, something like this. So it's like a love relationship, oh, no. um, very weird. Um, very, yeah, no, it's not like very explicit. Oh, exactly. okay. Yeah, <laughs> it just, it's about infidelity, and yeah, like jealousy, and... It's a great novel. I think you should read. When is it going to be translated? 
And is it translated already? No, that's one oh, no. one of the untranslated. Yeah. So you have to read it to me and then translate it. So yeah, I can it. I <laughs> yeah, I read it once a year. So oh, wow! Really? Yeah. So it's like I a favorite like... book. Yeah, because this was the first book, like the first adult book that I read, even mm. before Pride and Prejudice, and I think it was like wow. something new, you know, something yeah. that I really loved, and it's like the first book that I wrote, and then I read like several books of her and I love her as a writer like yeah. her prose is so magnificent I just love her but um, yeah this was the first book so wow yeah, it's a special so book it. yeah and what other book you have for us so the other one is a play yeah oh, cool. uh, it's like a rewriting of Antigone yeah the, yeah. the Greek myth and it's very interesting because it's the so the myth it's being written by Salvador Sprio it's just that the book is written, so the perspective, it's Antigone's perspective, and it's about, he wrote the book during the Civil War, the yeah. Spanish Civil oh, War, okay. and it's about justice and injustice, so Antigone represents justice, and then Caront, which I don't know how to say in English, he represents injustice, and... So they're family, so it's like the war between a family which was supposed to symbolize like the war yeah. between Spain because mm-hmm. we were like killing each other. And so the funny thing, well the funny thing, the interesting for me is that the book was released during the Civil War War and it was, uh, the Civil War, sorry, and it was only because he tried to hide um, everything that related the book to the war so that it could pass oh. the censorship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. But still, when you read the book and you know the story, you, you know it's you know something that it's, a yeah. mirror. Yeah. 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 yeah, we have some audited sign. Yeah, That's but pretty I find it very interesting. Very yeah, and then you read it, and, and it's about justice and about what's fair and about, yeah, like breaking the law, but still, you don't know if this is like, so there's the law, but you don't know whether this is good or bad. And yeah, sometimes yeah. breaking the law, it's not bad necessarily. Is, is, yeah. is it maybe sometimes a good thing to do? Yeah. yeah. Kind yeah. of thing? Like yeah. the moral good versus... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's about, and I really loved it. And it's a play, which is something different. And it's very easy to read. It's not very long, so... Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I need to read so many things now. <laughs> That's the problem with this. I actually wanted to talk, if it's okay. I, I wanted to say two other books... Um, that I've read so uh, actually this is one of the things that got me into publishing and the reasons why it's that I, I read so many books that it always been frustrating to me that I couldn't share it with with certain people yeah. like I said like yeah. this is such an amazing book and I love it for this and I had a friend of mine she's from Italy and she would be like oh I want to read it and then she would be like yeah sorry it's not even in English yeah oh what can I do uh, so that's one of the reasons why I like this so much. And I'm obsessed. I have two books that I've been obsessed uh, for the last year. Uh, that I think that, well, one one in particular. I really like it. And I really like it because she's a Mexican author. She's a woman. And the cover was illustrated by a friend of mine. So I obviously like that mu- even more. And this is, was published by an independent publisher in my hometown, which is Guadalajara in Mexico. Yay. So that was like super special for me. And the book, it will be translated into restoration. It's Restauración, and the author's name is Ave Barrera, like bird Barrera. Mm. 
and uh, the publisher is Paraiso Perdido, which translates into Lost yeah. Paradise, and they really focus on these new voices and new talents. And what I like about this story, it's simply amazing. Um, it talks about this woman. She falls in love with this guy. Uh, the guy is not like the best, best boyfriend, uh, but he has he owns this very old house, very beautiful old house downtown i think it's mexico city but she never says which city it is but you mm -hmm. imagine it it's mm -hmm. mexico city and it's abandoned the house and this woman she's a restorator she she does that for a living so she says trying to recover her love to restore her love oh i'm gonna help you rebuild this house and she gets in and she starts opening door by door and she starts uh cleaning everything but then while she's opening these doors, different ghosts in a very like parallel way start appearing. And then you hear this story about this other woman that she is living tormented in that house. And it's a house that is filled with this unspeakable violence, mm -hmm. those things that you cannot really express in many ways, but in images and through literature. It's very, it's very strange. Like you cannot imagine it in a, in a movie, this book. Mm -hmm. And I really like it because it's also a subject that it's very present for us right now. It's a lot about this violence against women, but not like the typical that you will think mm -hmm. of. And, and well, and these two stories of these two women starts getting mixed. And then you don't know what it's real and who are dead and who are alive. And oh, it's just... It's just a beautiful, beautiful story. They're one of those books that you finish them and you're like, what did I just, what, what? And, and you have to start recommending to a lot of people, not everyone though, yeah. but you will start recommending it to a lot of people that you know that they yeah. will feel like, yeah. yes, this change. it's like those books that once you finish, like you cannot go back. Mm -hmm. And there are some thoughts that get into your head and you just keep on it. And the other one that I really like, this is not actually Mexican. Um, I just, I just forgot where he's from, but he's Luis Sepúlveda. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love him. Sepúlveda? Oh. Sepúlveda. Yeah, Sepúlveda. And he has a lot of play translated. I think, actually, this book, what I'm talking about, uh, is not translated in Spanish, but it is translated in different languages, mm -hmm. um, in many, but not in English. And the name of the book is La eh, Historia de un Perro Llamado Leal, which would be the story of a dog called uh, Loyalty. Loyalty. Yeah. And it's a dog from the Mapuche. Oh, it's from Chile. Ah, oh. oh, okay. I remember now where he's from. And it's a story about this dog. It's a very short story. And he is in the middle of the jungle, of the Mapuche jungle. And he's part of the Mapuche community. And then suddenly this white man gets to the village and they take the dog with them. And I so he's now the dog of these people. And then he's sent back to the jungle, but to look for someone, but like trying to hunt someone. Wait, does so, the dog survive? I'm not going to tell you anything. No, about I need to know. I'm not going to tell you that bit. Not off at record. least, not, off not, record. not on record. <laughs> off, off record, I might say something, but it's a very short <laughs> book and everything is told by the perspective of a dog. But it's such a nice work. It's like not everybody can master that of, of telling a story through the eyes of a dog and really you feel it like, yeah, this is a dog. Yeah. But with this book, 
Oh my, and I cried my eyes out. I read it on a plane. It's a very good ending. I read from the first page, but you know, it's a dog talking. You will start crying from the first page. It's like just gets into your heart. But anyway, that is a very good book. If it is in different language that it's not English, you should get that. But I really, really hope that it will get translated soon enough. Um, Okay, so just to wrap this up, uh, we've been talking about, we can keep talking about this. We probably yeah. keep talking uh, off record. One book of one author from your hometown, from your country, that has been translated that we can all recommend uh, to our listeners out there. I'd say the one that I've already said, yeah. so Broken Mirror by Marcelo Dureda, which is a story about a family. And I really love because it's a family, it's a story of a family throughout generations. So it starts with Teresa, who is like, I don't know, like 20 years, something like this. And then the story evolves and then it's like the story of Teresa and Teresa's daughters. And then it's also the story of the daughters of the daughters. So it's like the story of a family. family. And it's like the relationships between the family. Um, It's about death and love. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. I highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah, mine is 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 uh, Agos, which is translated for blindness. It's about this blindness who is like an epidemic, which starts in one man, and it just goes on into the entire universe. And it's 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 a beautiful beautiful book, uh, which which is m- like magnum opus. And if you haven't read Saramago, it's super worth. I know I'm not sure how they translated his uh, writing style. I'm really. Uh, really curious about that because he, he doesn't in Portuguese he doesn't write with punctuation mm-hmm. like one like you can have two page sentences uh, and without uh, and direct stops. speech yeah. so you don't have like oh and this character said Colin that so it's really, really mm-hmm. interesting and it, it's a beautiful beautiful story so oh, that's really sorry and that's really interesting because I read blindness uh, as an undergrad and the one thing we did note about it was that that pages were full of text with no text breaks. Yeah. And that was intimidating. But yeah. apparently... Oh, those are the best books. Um, well, okay. So again, the caveat is that Filipinos write in English. So instead of a translation, I'll just recommend a, a book or yeah. two in English already from a Filipino writer. And um, they have to be women because... Yeah. Uh, girl so power. Girl power. So the first is by Gabriela Lee. She's a Filipino writer who writes in English. Um, her collection of short stories is called Instructions on How to Disappear. It's um, contemporary, it's sci-fi and fantasy, but set in urban Manila. Um, so there's a lot. She plays around with magic, magical tropes, um, and a little bit of sci-fi. And she's a fantastic writer. Um, the second book is Lisa Victoria. She's currently in the University of Sydney for a PhD. Um, but she's also been published abroad. Um, I believe that her novels, that I believe that her latest novel is in the Philippines. Um, I forgot. But my favorite of hers is um, A Bottle of Storm Clouds, which is also a collection of short stories. And she also plays with um, the idea of youth, um, magical realism, these tropes, but again, putting it solidly on in Filipino footing. So I guess that's a good way to sort of understand um, Filipino mentality, Filipino frame of mind, if you read those stories that way. Well, I will do a last recommendation if you're interested in Mexican authors. I just got the news this week that one of my personal favorite authors, she's Fernanda Melchor. She's now like a big thing. Uh, her book is going to be published this February. I think Bat Fiscaraldo is going to do it. 
uh, it's hurricane season. If you feel intimidated by a book nope. that has no stops, that book, the name of the title is Truth. Hurricane and season. that it's, it's hurricane season and that's how you feel while you read it. That book was one of my highlights of 2017 or 2018, I think it was 2017. And it was just like one of the best books I've read so far. So be attentive to that one. Well, well, thank you very much, everyone, for your thank time. You. Thank, you. Um, thank you. Now we're going to hear from one of our students of the MA Publishing here at UCL. Uh, in this episode, we'll be hearing from Rebecca Stone. Rebecca is originally from Waterfront and studied English at the University College. Okay, so my name is Rebecca. I'm from Ireland, and I'm going to be talking about publishing in Ireland. <laughs> so um, Ireland has like a really long history of publishing. It's like the land of saints and scholars. And so when you go to university in Ireland, like the main focus, and I said this to Daniel, is that like you don't really focus on like the classics of like the UK. It's more to do with like Irish writing, Irish novelists, Irish plays. Like that's the focus. Even though you're doing a degree in English, it's always about Ireland. And also there's like, you can do a degree in Irish, but you also study it's really complicated. But so there's people like James Joyce, W.B. Yeats and Samuel Beckett, who are like the, the historically, you know, when you think of like famous Irish writers, you think of them. But there's also people like Maeve Binchy, who I don't know if she came to the UK. She like writes kind of like romantic novels about small town Irish life, like, you know, like families and little cottages. And they're really nice. And then there's Sally Rooney, who wrote Normal People and Conversations with Friends. Sarah Maria Griffin, who wrote um, Other Words for Smoke. And, and Lost and Found Parts, I think it's called. Or Spare and Lost Parts or something like that. And there's also a comedian called Blind Boy Boat Club, who I'll talk about later, who's really funny. And he has written two books about like Ireland as well. So I just wrote write, about books that I've read about Irish, Irish authors recently. So I just started Other Words for Smoke by Sarah Maria Griffin. And it's basically, it's a mythical story. It's like a Gothic modern. So it's about these kids who like go off to a great aunt's house and like something happens with like witchcraft and like magic and fairies or something. Um, but I've only read like the first 20 pages, so I don't really know what happens yet, but it looks promising and it has a nice cover. And then it also like just last week won an Unpussed uh, Irish Book Award. So, and she was saying in an interview that like it gave her the push to like finish her next book, which is nice that when an author is like rewarded, especially in their home country, that it like, you know, provides a little bit of a catalyst for them to finish their next book, which is good. So I really want to read that as well. And then I... I really love, I read a couple of times, which is Normal People by Sally Rooney, which I don't know if you've read it, but you should read it, it's really good. Um, but it's like really familiar in terms of characters. Like I know a lot of people who act like the characters in the book and like obviously it's set in Trinity College in Dublin and I know people who go to Trinity College, which is interesting. It's also very like, it's a really heartbreaking story. I mean, if you've read it, like it really, you don't really close the book, you feel really sad, but like it's, it's nice, but it's also really relatable and it like relates to the highs and lows of being in a relationship and being in love and being vulnerable and being young and, you know, not knowing what you're going to do after university, which is kind of scary, but you know, we're all doing okay because we're all doing an MA, so we're, we're flying high. Um, and then like, so these two authors are kind of like this new generation of like Irish writers um, and there's also like a growing popularity for Irish publishers like Tram Press, who are a Irish publisher, a small one, and they publish um, books called, there's one called Notes to Self, which is by Emily Pine. And it's uh, a book about like her, it's just essays about her life and like 
her like her her marriage, her not getting being able to get pregnant, her relationship with her father, her sister's miscarriage, like all these kind of things. But there's always always like this like inherent Irishness about them, and also um, there's also, they also published recently published a like a collection of Irish sci-fi stories. So like you know it's again it's very specific to Ireland. Like it's a collection it's edited by, edited by one person, but there's like loads of different writers in the book. I haven't read it yet, but I will. Um, and then there's Gill Books, who have published um, the Blind Boys books as well. And then they also published, um, oh my God, what a complete Ashling, which are, they're really good books as well. There's three of them now. And they're written by uh, Ina McLeisa and Sarah Breen, who are really funny on Twitter as well. And then there's people like Blind Boy, who they're like a comedy duo. And like in early 2000s, early, yeah, early 2000s, they would do like, they were like on this thing, the show called The Republic of Telly, and they would just do skits about being Irish. But in like recent years, one of them, by, by the way, they always wear um, plastic bags on their heads. Um, it's like a performance thing. And they were also, they featured at the Venice Biennale as a, they were Ireland's entry. I don't know what they did. Bags on their heads, but they were the entry. So well done for them. Um, but he has written two books uh, that capitalize on like their absurdist kind of thing. And also like their influence on the Irish political culture because they're always on like TV shows, radio shows talking about like the abortion referendum, the gay marriage referendum, austerity, homelessness, the housing crisis, mental health, suicide rates. Like they have a lot of opinions about that, good opinions. And I think people kind of, you know, in Ireland, people take them seriously because we know who they are. But I think outside of Ireland, they're kind of like looked at kind of weirdly. But he's had two books published and they're one's called The Gospel According to Blind Boy which is kind of like short stories that he's kind of made up or his dreams that he's had. Um, there's one where he like has a fight with the guy from Jurassic Park and apparently this guy found out about this and he was just like, oh, I never had a fight with him. And he's like, no, it's a dream. They have this like whole Twitter conversation, very funny. But like, I, I do read a lot of Irish books and like, as all my classmates would say, I love talking about Ireland. I talk about it constantly for someone who lives in the UK, but like, it's, you know. But like I really love Ireland and I love like reading about Ireland, talking about Ireland, like anything to do with Ireland, like I love it. So that's my two cents in Irish publishing. So that was Rebecca Stone. Uh, this episode was presented by me, by Ana Paula de la Borgoya, and produced by Jonathan Herbert. Thank you to my guests, to Laura, to Sebastiao, to Kira. Thank you very much for being here. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. Bye.